Now, the fact that you'll turn into an animal if you fail to fall in love with someone during your stay here is not something that should upset you or get you down. Just think, as an animal, you'll have a second chance to find a companion. But even then, you must be careful. You need to choose a companion that is a similar type of animal to you. A wolf and a penguin could never live together, nor could a camel and a hippopotamus. That would be absurd. Think about it. I understand this discussion is a little unpleasant for you, but it is my duty to prepare you psychologically for all possible outcomes. Now, have you thought of what animal you'd like to be if you end up alone? Yes, a lobster. Why a lobster? Because lobsters live for over 100 years, are blue-blooded like aristocrats, and stay fertile all their lives. I also like the sea very much. I water ski and swim quite well since I was a teenager. I must congratulate you. The first thing most people think of is a dog, which is why the world is full of dogs. Very few people choose an unusual animal, which is why they are endangered. A lobster is an excellent choice. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 130, The Lobster. So another uh, spirited pre-show discussion today. Yeah, well, I think at the end of Bottle Rocket, for those of you who made it there in that episode, we promised a give us a second would be in your future, and that did not materialize. (laughs) We give and we take away. Sometimes life intervenes. We had some illness. Yeah, this I'm on week. the mend. I have the flu and actually pneumonia. So, Ugh. yeah, bad combo. So, we didn't get to do the give us a second about the Academy Awards. So, we might as well talk about them now before we jump into Yorgos Lantimos' 2015 film, so The Lobster. Maybe uh, give us a second within an episode. Kind of. A like we used to do. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> I was just thinking about how our most talked about episode, the Knock Knock episode, oh, yeah. was actually us talking about the Moonlight La La Land controversy for the first like 20 minutes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Wow. What a good episode that ended up being. I don't know. I wouldn't go so far as to say that. Hey, but Eli Roth thought, <laughs> thought so. What did he say? Pretty cool deconstruction. Pretty fun deconstruction, I think. Yeah. Or just fun deconstruction. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, the 91st Academy Awards are in the book, and everyone, I guess, has just been reeling. Yeah, I, this was news to me. <laughs> you, you let me know, you know, first thing when I got in. Once again, uproar, and it does just seem like no matter what, people are just flipping out anymore. I, I just feel like that's the story every year. Yeah, I was telling you that in my head I was preparing a long, I guess you would say, speech about my feelings 
mostly about the reaction to Green Book winning Best Picture. I hope we get there more someday, so than Green that. Book actually winning Best Picture, which truly means nothing to me, and I don't care at all. And here's the thing that's disappointing for me: I consider myself a pretty big movie fan. I go to the movies a fucking shit ton. I know this isn't Yet true. Didn't see Green Book. Exactly. I feel like I saw a hundred movies. I didn't. Obviously, I didn't see a hundred movies because you know what seeing a hundred movies is like. But I see a lot of movies, and somehow I'm not seeing the movie that wins Best Picture. (laughs) And last year, you barely did. True. I think I basically was like, you should see this. That's true, yeah. And I go all the way back to 2009, too, King's Speech. I still have never seen it. Yeah, there's a few Best Picture winners that I just never bothered to see. I never saw Moonlight. I'm not even ashamed to admit it. But you brought it up. You know, before the show where people were acting like, oh, this is the worst movie to win since Crash. And I literally feel like people say that every year. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why people get so upset about these things. First of all, I I will say this. I remember when Crash won. It was a huge surprise. Although, in retrospect, I think they figured out why it's not a surprise based on the things it had won leading up to it. But at that time, people just expected Brokeback Mountain to win. I remember when Crash won, thinking, like, I had seen Crash in the theater, yeah. and I was like, yeah, that movie was okay. I remember th- when Crash came out, I, I liked it. I mean, <laughs> I was like, this is terrible. How dare you, right? Yeah. <laughs> in today's day and age. But whatever. A lot of people shit on a lot of Best Picture winners, which I always find insanely surprising. People definitely don't like American Beauty. I think that is insane. I think it's one of the... Wow, yeah. I think it's easily one of the 10 best movies of the 90s, which is maybe a crazy statement to some people. Your life, I would say. Yeah, I love it. And people don't like it. People shit on all of the Harvey Weinstein movies, uh, rightfully so. I mean, he campaigned mediocre movies to win, like Shakespeare in Love or The The Artist or King's Speech or whatever. And I don't know, this particular movie, Green Book, it really touched a nerve with a lot of people for whatever reason. People acting like they care about Don Shirley's family or Don (laughs) Shirley himself. It's like these people never even heard of Don Shirley. They've never listened to his music. They don't know anything about him. All of a sudden it matters if you contact somebody's family when you're doing a biopic or a a movie about somebody. Uh, Meanwhile, they could care less if Adam McKay talked to Dick Cheney, who's still alive, (laughs) by the way. You think Dick Cheney gave his sign Or David Fincher talked to... Zuckerberg, when he did Social Network, nobody cares about well, those things. Well, it's this whole movement, uh, and you know, we go through it all the time now. It's just like this constant exercise of like these smart reasons why we shouldn't like something. Uh, it's for everything now. I will admit that uh, Green Book I, I put is kind of quotes, a, uh, a throwback to a time when the idea of race relations was much simplified, and perhaps that Green Book's outlook on things is a little blunt rather than possessing the required nuance to deal with the intricacies of race relations in the south and all of these different things and isn't this just a band-aid a smiley face band-aid to put on these complex issues and of course one of the co-writers nick vallalonga whose father is portrayed by vigo mortensen in the picture he seems like a total shithead i mean he (laughs) tweeted out some dumbass bullshit about muslims and you know, he had some... Okay, so classy fella. Not great quotes after the Oscars about the situation with Don Shirley's family claiming he didn't know they existed until they were already making the movie or whatever. Whatever. 
none of those things actually matter when you're talking about the film itself, which I found to be funny and charming and anchored by two really strong performances, which were also nominated. And as I said to you, Mahershala Ali won Best Supporting Actor. Octavia Spencer was one of the producers and was on stage for the Green Book win. And plenty of African-Americans liked the film. Some didn't spike lee notably threw a fit when he didn't win i guess <laughs> which I, 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 I and that's mean, fine i'm not saying that people have to love the film there can be issues with it or whatever but to, to act like some of these woke white pseudo journalists that think that they're so important and what the things that they write and think and their opinion pieces are so crucial to society that they know more about whether or not this movie is offensive to black people that Octavia Spencer or Mahershala Ali or that senator guy who introduced the picture like on stage (laughs) it's it's like god almighty this movie is not offensive at all yeah and that might be part of the issue it's not like as in your face as black Klansmen or whatever I don't know it, it harkens back to a simpler time and I think the older academy members like these kind of movies and did I think it was the best of the nominees no I didn't and even if I would have thought it was eighth best, I wouldn't have thrown such a fit about it. Yeah, I <laughs> like, I don't really understand I, what, I, yeah, I know. These, what the reaction really is. White 50-year-old hipsters basically writing for websites about pop culture. It's like they don't even realize how embarrassing they are. <laughs> I mean, it's just like... Well, the thing is, it boils down to I'm mad because my thing didn't win. And let me tell you why you're wrong for liking this thing. And so what they try to do is, instead of having an argument about it, because a totally normal way to go about this is to say, my favorite film of the year was Roma. I think that that should win Best Picture. And then when it doesn't, then you can have your debates and your arguments. Oh, sure. But like, that's not how these people deal in things now. Here's in, like, 10 our... reasons why you shouldn't like Green Book. Yeah, it's like... You're a horrible racist if you like it. <laughs> that's what they do. It's We're like... living in cancel culture as they call it or whatever and the idea is to just shout the other people down and try to suppress them and not let them talk and so the other part of it besides the fact that like my thing didn't win so I'm mad is I'm going to write all of these things and I feel like I'm so important and the things I'm writing mean something that this should have some sort of an impact and it really bothers them I think that these academy voters don't care about their stupid think pieces about Green Book and voted the one that they liked the best. I mean, these people that are writing these think pieces are also writing recaps of a Pete and Pete reunion show that they went to the weekend before. You know, (laughs) it's like... Yeah, I mean, and I'm not not belittling any of the issues with the film. I think it's important to talk about those things. Oh, sure, yeah. And as evidenced by the rankings of the movies we did on our give us a second i had green book i think third out of the movies nominated it's more just this like overwhelming wave of outrage that you just can't buy yeah it's it's really an echo chamber of ignorance because the reality is that most of the people that saw green book liked it it has a high rotten tomatoes score and a high audience score on rotten tomatoes as well so that that indicates to me that not only did the critics mostly like it, the people that were seeing it mostly liked it. And I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand why we have to listen to an angry, annoying minority cry about these movies that they don't like. 
And by my minority, I don't mean like African Americans no, or about gay the, people. I mean like a minority of people rather than the majority of people who enjoy the right. film. The minority being white hipster bloggers. Go on IMDb and you'll see that the scores for movies like Driving Miss Daisy, which is so reviled, is pretty high. And I think Crash is as well. I mean, I don't think either of those films are great and they don't particularly hold up. And probably Green Book won't either. But that's not really the point. The point is, it's a system that we all understand. We all kind of agree upon how this is how it is. And if you don't agree upon it, then you shouldn't watch it or care about it or yeah. write about it and just be like, fuck the Oscars. But whatever, these people all buy in. And then the moment that the things don't go exactly as they want, they cry about how terrible things are. And this it's like how I those mean- douchebags yeah. at something like Pitchfork cry about how horrible the Grammys is and then like as they're live tweeting and then that year like Arcade Fire then they act like it's the greatest thing ever when Arcade Fire wins album of the year that right, year. Right, right. And it's just like two seconds ago they were talking about how terrible the Grammys are and how horrible it is and how the some hipster Finally the band who had the best album won best album. It's just like <laughs> it's this thing that it only matters it's only going in the right direction if the thing I want to win wins. And I don't know I would say almost never in the history of the Academy Awards. Almost 0%. Probably less than 10% of the time do they actually pick the best film of a given year. A lot of times the best film is not even nominated, let alone win. Most of the time I feel like we go over our top 10 lists of the year. At least five movies aren't, you know, even nominated for any Oscars. Yeah, I had Hereditary number one, and I would stand by that, and I think it should have been nominated and won Best Picture, and Tony Collette should have won Best Actress. I think, obviously, we know Neon Demon, the year it came out, <laughs> should have won, hands down. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I'm realistic, though. I didn't write like a million think pieces because my favorite thing doesn't win. I'm just like, yeah. well, I get that this has no chance of winning, and that's fine. I'm going to move on. Yeah. And I don't it's know, cool. did some of these people really think that Black Panther was going to win Best Picture? I just well, don't this is think a- that that was realistic to uh, believe that. I, I, Not see- that that's the one that they're all crying about. I think most people are just like, well, how could you deny Roma? And it's like, well, yeah, I thought Roma was a better movie than Green Book also, but I also don't really care that Green Book won Best Picture and Roma didn't. I mean, what they're difference just, does it make? They're just not ready to give it to a Netflix movie, you know? Well, that could be part of it, but also... For all the people who just thought that Roma was going to win, I want them to go back and look through the history of Best Picture winners and then come back and tell me how many foreign language films have won. Yeah, I mean... Because it's zero. You know, (laughs) I love the Oscars. Almost every year something wins Best Picture, and I'm like, wow, I wouldn't have thought that. (laughs) You know? But, like, sir, have there been years where it's like, oh, this was kind of cool, The Departed won, or No Country for Old Men won. You know what I mean? Like, But then there's, like, several years in a row where something wins, and I'm like... Wow, yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought that. But it, I move on pretty quickly, you know? It's not like uh, I, it's not like it devalues the movies that I liked that year. I think in order to appropriately work a balance between the best achievement in film but also one that's very popular, I think this year you could have easily given it to A Star is Born, and I'm not really sure why things never came together for that awards campaign. It never really made sense to me why that wasn't taken more seriously as a contender in all of the major categories. It only ended up winning best song, which I think is crazy. And last year, I wouldn't have said it at the time. You can go back and listen to our podcast probably from last year. And I don't necessarily think it was the best film of last year, but if we were going to accurately represent last year, 
it probably would have made way more sense for Get Out to win. Yeah, yeah, I think Get Out would have probably more accurately represented the year in film last year than The Shape of Water. I would have been thrilled if Phantom Thread or Dunkirk would have won because God knows we're going to end up giving makeup Oscars to Paul Thomas Anderson and Christopher Nolan way down the line for movies that aren't as good. Oh, right, yeah. Because that's what, They'll what have, ultimately like, the happens. They'll have Scorsese track record, you know? The things that I think should win don't usually win. I think you'd have to go back to like a No Country for Old Men for the yeah. last time. I think Birdman I was pretty oh, happy yeah, with. Oh, yeah, Birdman, yeah. I, I enjoyed Birdman quite a, a lot bit. of people have kind of complained about that movie, too. I mean, people complain about literally every movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every movie that's ever won us, Best Picture, the there's yeah. like a think piece about why it didn't deserve it. Oh, well, that's or... just, it's just like, why don't you just come out and say like it wasn't really for me, you know? I mean. Yeah, that's the thing. The truth of the matter is there's no outcome that would have pleased everybody from Sunday night at the Oscars. If Roma would have won, there would have been a backlash of this being this hoity-toity foreign film that yeah. most people aren't going to care about or understand. It's black and white. It's an art film, blah, blah, blah. If Black Panther won, tons of people would have been mad because it's a Marvel movie. It's a superhero movie. It's I certainly don't... not the best superhero movie ever made. It shouldn't really have been the first nominated for Best Picture, but whatever. People would have been annoyed. If Bohemian Rhapsody would have won, people would have said this movie is a mess and the but director is a creep. But I stuff leading up to it, it didn't feel well, like. Because nobody thought Bohemian Rhapsody was going to win. Know, well, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, no matter what would have won, it would not have pleased everybody. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Green Book won, and I was like, okay, night's over, I'm going to bed. I, and, you know, then I was sick for a few days and haven't been on social media or anything, but then you're just like... Yep, people are outraged. Like, uh, I, oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I guess I just would have thought that it would have been over. It's also quick. the culture and the world that we're living in now. Because Crash won for the 2005 year. That would have been early 2006. Twitter didn't exist. Sure. I don't even. I don't think most people even had Facebook in 2000. I mean, social media was not really a thing, and you could only read articles on a few websites or in your local paper right. about crash winning. And so it didn't really catch on to this rage culture that we live in. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I watched the Oscars that year. People really burned themselves out on this Green Book rage in the days since the award show. And it's just, I mean, it's crazy to me. Because, like I said, I mean, I just don't understand what people are watching when they see this movie. Like, I just don't get it. I don't understand what they're saying like they're talking about like it's a, another white savior movie i don't really read that at all from this movie i don't i don't see that well people are certainly over exaggerating things it seems like these days it just seems crazy to me that this is people's reaction to this pretty innocuous movie yeah. i mean if you want to say that green book is nothing special it's not that great i would just be like yeah okay but like to act like is it's this poisonous thing just because of what I consider to be really fake and flimsy reasons. Just really dumb. Now, and for Spike Lee to react so harshly, I mean, he stood up doing like the choke symbol, you know? <laughs> but uh, he did have funny lines after the fact. He's like, anytime anybody's driving, I'm in trouble or whatever, because, you know, he lost famously to Driving Miss Daisy in 1989 for Do the Right Thing. Oh, okay. And yeah, he should have won over Driving Miss Daisy. I don't think anybody really oh, disputes sure. that. Well, that's the thing. But like this year, I mean, I I just didn't really feel like Black Klansman was like that great of a movie. I, I like Spike Lee quite a bit. I think he's a great director. He's had some duds, certainly. 
Yeah, I don't think Black Klansman had like a realistic chance of winning Best Picture, in my opinion. It was kind of all over the place, and the first half of it is much better than the second half. Right, yeah. But whatever. I mean, it still won something. Basically, everything that was nominated for Best Picture, including Vice, won at least one Oscar oh, no. on the night. That's what it's going to be now. They're trying to make sure. Well, it's been like that trophy. for a long time. Yeah. It, in the old days, in the '90s, I remember movies that would walk out of there with ten awards. I thought didn't like American Hustle didn't win any, but was nominated for like ten yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying like every year they hit every movie, but like they okay. love to spread it around. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when I was a kid, I can remember like Titanic or whatever. Well, they would win like yeah, ten awards. Sweet. Awards yeah. or whatever. Now it doesn't really happen as much. They gave the most Academy Awards this year to Bohemian Rhapsody, which, frankly, if we're going to complain about things that win, I mean, Rami Malek winning for Bohemian Rhapsody might be the worst best actor or yeah, actress yeah. I can ever remember. If he actually was like winning. singing the songs, I would have been like, hell yeah. He should He's basically <laughs> wearing yeah. fake teeth and lip syncing. He's not bad in the movie, not no, by no. a million miles, but is he best actor good? It's not even really close. I mean, he's not even close like to... Like some of the all-time greats who haven't won that award? I mean, I can't believe that Christian Bale, who hasn't won the best actor, he's the one supporting actor. Oh, well, there you go. He's sitting there with this performance where he puts on all this weight, and he does this dead-on impression of Dick Cheney, and I just can't believe that they would pass on that opportunity. And we made Leonardo DiCaprio wait basically like 30 years of quality performances. Yeah, he had to get being nominated over and over and over. A real bear. That's what it took. And we finally give him a best actor, and we give it to Rami Malik right out the gate, which just seems crazy. There's no consistency on how they think of these things from year to year. It was a crazy night. I'd like to say some positive things i thought that the no host was fine it moved pretty quickly i did think it got a little repetitive they yeah. could have maybe thrown in I one or like, two other entertaining moments i like having the host for the beginning the big opening and not having that seem like kind of a bummer but i will say the show moved along this year i know that it was unpopular when they decided to move some of the awards to during the commercials, and then they had to walk that back when people flipped out. I think that probably would have been even better. Uh, yeah, probably. And you could have replaced some of those terrible speeches with entertaining montages or right, skits. Right, they yeah. didn't do any special montages outside of the death montage. That's true. Except and the s- opening one, which was really weird because it had like it was all the movies from this past year, and it was including things that wouldn't even get close to an Academy Award nomination, say, like tag. Sometimes I do like those weird one-off special moments that they would do from year to year. Like, it does drag the show on, and sometimes it seems pointless, but, like, there's been some pretty good production pieces and stuff during the show before. Well, this just went commercials, awards, commercials, awards, right. commercials, awards, song, commercials, awards, commercials, awards, song. format. And it was very repetitive. It was a lot to watch. The ratings were up, and possibly the most fun part of the night was Olivia Coleman winning Best Actress for The Favorite, which oh, yeah. was a huge surprise, even especially to her, <laughs> who I don't think was expecting it at all, nor was really anyone watching. I don't think anyone really thought she was going to win, except for me. Okay, As if you yeah. remember, I said, I bet they give it to... Because she's British. Yeah, and then they did, <laughs> right. right after I said that. Yep. She was the favorite I, for you. It was so strange because I wanted Lady Gaga to win. By the time the Oscars rolled around, I knew that wasn't going to happen. I assumed Glenn Close was going to win for a movie I haven't seen, and I was kind of like, all right, well, they do this all the time, these makeup awards. I know. She's been nominated so many times. 
and then she didn't win and I saw the favorite. I enjoyed it. I like Olivia Coleman. She's in the movie we're going to talk about eventually, The Lobster. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and yet I felt really bad for Glenn Close. It felt oh, wow. almost okay. kind of embarrassing and horrifying that she didn't win. I will say of the favorite, Olivia, is it Olivia Coleman? Coleman. Coleman. Okay, she was three for me of the <laughs> actresses in that movie. Well, but. nobody was happier that she won than Emma Stone. Oh, that's true. Standing up and crying. That's right. It's so strange. No, I mean, she was good in it and enjoyable, but I, I really thought Rachel Wise and Emma Stone were kind of taking it to the next level in that movie. Yeah, I would agree with that, but I don't know. I mean, you feel bad for Glenn Close, who's an older lady. I don't know how many more times she's going to get a chance to be uh, that's nominated. True, yeah. and it, everyone just assumed she was going to win which makes it kind of embarrassing that she doesn't win. I don't know. Yeah, I think people would take this as, like, pretentious, but, you know, I, I like a little bit of pretension, and it's like, I like the Oscars, like, celebrating, quote, films, and uh, I, I just kind of feel like this year with, like, Marvel movies and Bohemian Rhapsody being thrown into Best Picture. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it, it terrible. It's just a kind of a bummer for me. I just feel like it, it's taking a step back. I mean... Do we want the Oscars to go towards like the Teen Choice Awards and like we're handing out surfboards to people when they win, you know? <laughs> Best kiss. Right. <laughs> or something. I don't know. I it's like I listen, I like popcorn movies just as much as everybody. I mean, we see every movie that we can. And I'm into right. most movies. But I do enjoy something about the Oscars of just being like the pretentious bullshit movies. I know. I think that the more they try to turn themselves into a popularity contest the more they start to emulate the Grammys, and we all know that literally no one cares about the uh, Grammys Right, anymore. and it's like we already have the Golden Globes. Like, th they can stay there, you know? I know, but, like, it seems like it, you listen to some of these people and you would think that Black Panther winning all of these awards, it won, like, a few of the technical or, you know, the costume or whatever, like, those kind of things. Like, that that's such a big moment. And look, I get it. Like, African-American women had not won oh, in a lot yeah, of those yeah. categories ever and one of them, the one with the with the big glasses, she's from Mount Lebanon. She's like from around here. Oh, that's cool. And that's fine. I don't really care about those kind of movies winning those kind of oh, awards, true, yeah. really. But I agree. I think that the best picture should be preserved for actual special achievements in filmmaking, not a jigsaw puzzle piece of a larger Marvel narrative. <laughs> right. And we're all offering up our uh, assholes uh, really, to Disney to and really, just take yeah, over the world. A, a piece of a movie that where all of these movies are basically the same thing. Yeah, there's no suspense or surprise. People like going on and on about how great Marvel movies are. They're all basically the same. There's no real suspense. Yeah. We all know what's going to happen. Right, right. I don't know. I, I, I don't get it. I don't know why we're acting like any of them are, are particularly great. And yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They're all like 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. They should all really be like 60% maybe, you know? Like, <laughs> they're pretty, they're solid. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't really think of the percentage on Rotten Tomatoes is like a barometer of how good it is. It's just how many people liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is different. But anyway, like, but I don't think of like a 60% as like an F. I always think of it as like, if it's around 50, it's like still okay. And then like down in like the twenties, that's when you start to get like, so like I still consider 60. Like most people would be like, yeah, I liked it. I don't you know. know. I mean, those movies do make like a billion or two billion dollars. I mean, it seems like people are a little higher on them than that. Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. I guess I just don't get it. So you didn't see all of the Best Picture nominees. I'll give my quick ranking of the eight. 
if I was going to do a ballot because it's preferential treatment, which is another reason why Green Book probably won. It wasn't necessarily everyone's first place vote, but you get points based on where you're ranked. You have to rank all eight on your ballot. Oh, right. I don't know how they do it exactly, but I would assume like if there's eight nominees, then a first place bo- vote yeah. is worth eight points. This is like, Second place vote is yeah. worth seven and on down. This is like their version of the Electoral College, basically. Kind of. And so a movie like Green Book could have a lot of second and third place votes and end up winning. Well, Roma actually won the popular vote. That's the thing. Should they release the ballots, I think it would be highly entertaining. They'll never do it. <laughs> right. It would be fun to see that, just to see like some movies get like such a small score or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But they'll ne- they won't do that. I would put Vice eight. Okay. Bohemian Rhapsody seven. Yeah. Black Panther six. Okay. Black Klansman five. Yeah. The Favorite four. Oh wow! Yeah. Green Book three. Roma two. A Star Is Born one. Okay. That would be my ballot. Right. And I'm sticking to it. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Yeah. I won't be shamed into changing my opinion of Green Book, a movie that I enjoyed and then moved on with my life. I would have been like writing in like Suspiria. (laughs) You were never really here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like I would like cross out some and put you were never really here. What was the the other one? Hereditary. Hereditary. And it was like towards the bottom of our top 10 list. Who's With the it? girl from Annihilation and the guy from Get Out. Oh, sorry to bother you. Yeah, sorry to bother you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard it discussed because some of, of the other award shows do this. Wouldn't it be cool maybe if they added like a first feature category? And so like Boots Riley for Sorry to Bother You oh, could be okay. in that. Or yeah. Ari Aster for Hereditary. I'm up for that. that. I like, like that. that. It's like when a rookie in the NBA might be one of the best players, but they – don't get to play on the main all-star squad yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay well i'm sure now if any of like the hyper super over-the-top people listen to this we'll be branded as racists for not declaring green book oh sorry that we like like every movie matt didn't even see yeah (laughs) green book which is the funniest part and i'm defending it i guess i don't know not really i mean i again i mean when we talked about our top movies of the year i I thought green book looked kind of boring but you said it was not boring i mean it's not going to be for everybody it's definitely a movie that appeals i think to older people okay so i'm old it would appeal to me then it's funny and charming and it's got has a nice sweet ending and it's possible that because they didn't contact Don Shirley's family that some of it might be inaccurate, which never bothers me because no movie based on on true stories are ever accurate. No. It doesn't matter. And And that's certainly not gonna detract from me like And that's the movie. an off like I, f- I almost think of that as like an off the court issue or an off the field issue matt a big patriots fan that would be like if he decided that he didn't like the patriots because robert Kraft was going to a rub and tug no that that enhances my (laughs) it's an off the field issue it's like it has nothing to do like the things uh, that that guy tweeted who sounds like an ass bag you know that doesn't have anything to do with the movie to me oh sure oh i know (laughs) yeah i mean why would that detract from your experience of watching the movie I don't know. Whatever. It is what it is. Well, it's like I remember If people don't like it, that's fine, but I just don't I don't really understand this campaign that people on the internet want to run I for remember. and against movies. There's always these like last year having that backlash against three billboards months before the Oscars took place was to me insane. 
It was an insane thing to be happening. It's almost like people were willfully not understanding the movie and that characters in movies can be bad or good, sometimes both, that there could be complicated people in a complicated world. And people were almost like either proud of how stupid they were or purposefully (laughs) denying reality just to make a point that they didn't want that to win Best Picture because they probably preferred something like Lady Bird or Get Out and none of those movies ended up winning anyway, so we all had to compromise with Shape of Water. Everyone's so thrilled about that. A movie that I liked, by the way, but it just doesn't really seem like it should have been Best Picture. Yeah, I agree. I I do feel like there was a lot of movies that I liked last year, and I was pretty... uh, I know you had, like... Didn't you have Shape of Water heading into it? You thought As that winning? It, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so I think by the time it got to the Oscars, You had was... me like already talked up that it was going to win, but I, I, I definitely remember really enjoying the nominees for Best Picture last year, and I was kind of surprised that it was heading in the direction of Shape of Water. Well, that was like almost like the compromise everyone was going to make because some people weren't going to give it to uh, Get Out or something like that, but at the same time, things that probably should win, like phantom thread or dunkirk really didn't seem to have much of a chance yeah. so everyone was kind of like let's agree to meet in the middle here and go with shape I, of water i think i like lady bird more than shape of water though too um yeah i mean i i, I mean they're probably about the same okay. to me i mean yeah i don't know it just it is what it is yeah I, I think i was just saying that like yeah we'll be branded racists for saying that green book was not horrifying and that we don't have a problem with it winning Best Picture. But I think... Yeah, I, I, I'm not really w- ready to say that I don't have a problem with it, but I guess I'm just uh, agnostic about it. I don't know. <laughs> it's just I don't like, think... I don't see that you would, based on just knowing you. I yeah, exactly. you were going to come out of that being like... Right. I don't think they handled race relations <laughs> appropriately. Yeah, I don't think so. Society. That's right. I think... I would it, probably... If anything, I'd be like, you know what? Eh, Green Book's not for me. Yeah, that, and I that think that's fine. That would probably be the extent of it, yeah. I think my point is not that people have to like Green oh, Book. I understand it's that, more yeah. just this tantrum throwing that people do now this when is things an outrage. don't go the yeah. way that they want it to go. We've just set back mankind. Like <laughs> <laughs> Poor Mahershala Ali. I thought he could do no wrong. Well, that's the thing. A lot of these people do have like jump through hoops to somehow say that he's great and his performance is great, right. but the rest of the movie's trash I or whatever. Like he is like, yeah, he is beloved, by myself included. Okay, so The Lobster, directed by Yorgos Lantimos, who was just in the middle of award season Topical. with The Favorite. That's right. Written by Lantimos with his sometimes writing partner. Oof, that is a hard name. I can't even Ephemius say the name, so. Philippou. Yeah, that's pretty wild. It's a strange movie. It's not for everyone. It's right. definitely odd. I will say it's definitely for me, though. I remember, so I didn't see it until when it first was added to Netflix like a few months ago. But I can remember when it came out, uh, my friend Dave, who does all the original artwork for the show, he texted me <laughs> and he had went to see it and was like, hey, I just saw The Lobster. I, like, I thought of you the whole time. You would love this movie. Which is kind of like a weird thing to put out there once you see them. Because <laughs> then it's just like so fucked up. But yeah, it's like, he was right though. Yeah. I did love this movie. It's an absurdist pitch black comedy about the nature of love, a satire on relationships, how we form these relationships, what sure. they're based on, why. Right. It's uh, definitely, you, would, you would say it's very 
critical about like kind of the societal pressures it's around. definitely a parody of the idea of online dating like the whole thing where you have to fill in your likes and dislikes and all these stupid questions and yeah. then they're going to decide who you should be paired with based off of just these questions oh right yeah and so they take that to the extreme level where people have to have a I was even, defining characteristic i even think even beyond online dating like just the idea of people being in relationships with with each other in general yeah yeah definitely and it's a film of two distinct halves for sure Oh, yeah. There's the hotel half, and then there's the woods half. Right. And Rachel Wise is narrating the movie, but she doesn't come in until, like, halfway through. Yeah, she only worked on the movie for, like, a couple of weeks. Oh, Because they filmed in order. So she, like, didn't even show up until, like, they were that far into it. Oh, gotcha, yeah. Kind of a weird appearance by John C. Riley in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) I think he was saying on one of the bonus features that he just... He read the script and was just like, yes, definitely, I have to be in this. That's right. it's just so weird. Right. Even, like, the opening scene, like, you know. The opening scene, I I kept trying to tie it to things in the movie, and I don't think it actually ties to anything specifically, like, any of the characters that we meet in the movie. The first time I watched it, I actually thought that that woman was the heartless woman at the hotel. It's not. Yeah. It's somebody different. It's supposed to be ambiguous and enigmatic scene that makes you wonder what the scenario is, just the situation. A woman driving through the rain pulls over. She retrieves a gun in her car, walks a short distance off the side of the road, and shoots and kills a donkey. And there's no explanation at this point <laughs> and then it just in the movie. Jumps you don't into know the what movie, this is. Right. <laughs> it is a fun opening. I mean, obviously it's dark, and you're like, what the hell's going on here? But it kind of like <laughs> puts you on the edge of your seat like right away. Yeah, and people have all kinds of different theories. I mean, you could be like, once you figure out how the movie works and and the world of this movie, you could be like, well, that donkey was probably somebody that she had been with who... Ultimately decided he'd rather be an animal. Left her and then went through the process and then became an animal or whatever. Or who knows? It's just, once you understand the movie, we know that that was formerly a person. and it does. Or maybe it isn't. And I have, it, there's another theory that they don't actually get turned into animals. I don't know if you ever, know, oh, if no, ever thought about that. No, I haven't. <laughs> but it does make you think, though, under the premise that they are getting turned into animals, how does she know which donkey it is? <laughs> Who knows? I know. But it's just a fun, weird opening. So the movie starts with David, played by Colin Farrell. His wife leaves him for another man. And this decision is particularly brutal in this society. It does, yeah. It's not just your typical divorce or breakup or whatever. It's You're a really big statement. putting someone on a bad path by breaking <laughs> up with them. And as you pointed out, we have Rachel Weisz's narration, which I love because I love her voice. Yeah, me too. I love everything just, about her. I love how vulgar she is in this movie. <laughs> yeah. She does say she fucked me up the ass at one point. Yeah, right. And she just she does it in a way that it seems classy. <laughs> <laughs> so David is escorted to a hotel. And we see this a little bit of the ride there and then this check-in situation where he has to register as a hetero or homosexual. Which no he struggles with option. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like a really weird moment where he had one gay experience or something in college and, and then he has like, to think about it. Yeah. They were like, well, so what do you want to be, hetero or, or homo? And it's a long pause, I would say. Yeah. Well, this movie, for those who haven't seen it, is a movie of long stuttering pauses, very weird delivery 
yes. to how people talk, which is very similar to another Yorgos Lanthimos movie, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which they also talk this way. It's very oh, okay. strange. I still need to watch that. I, I put it on, but uh, I fell asleep, which is just a horrible trait that I have. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could fall asleep to movies. Like, I can't. Yeah. I mostly if I put a movie on then I'm watching it I, I do mostly watch movies but I just always put stuff on when I'm like getting ready to lay down as well and then it's just like forget about it before we go any further with the plot itself we should try to maybe explain an overall idea of this hotel and what takes place and we'll touch on maybe some of the events as we do this but it's a beautiful hotel on this dreary coastline you know <laughs> yeah well okay that's a good point so I think they filmed this in Ireland, and everybody has different accents. And that was kind of intentional. They wanted to cast all of these different people with different accents, and they wanted everyone to speak with their accents. And it Because they wanted this to be like this universal This isolated idea. world, kind of, right? Yeah. It seems like... It could be anywhere. The idea of the city, they're acting like everyone is from this city. Right, yeah. Right. Well, it's like this dystopian future where the society that we know today doesn't really exist. It's more based off of something else that we're not fully aware of, obviously, <laughs> if this is happening. But also the idea of a city or whatever. And like I said, they wanted everyone to have these different accents because it's like this universal thing across the whole world. That it could be anywhere or happening to anyone in any place and they all kind of have to follow the same rules. This is the world, and this is how it works. Okay, so guests get 45 days at the hotel to find a partner, or they will be transformed into an animal of their choosing. I wonder how they came up with that number. I mean, that is like, when you're a slow mover like me, 45 days. <laughs> Jeez. Well, that's the thing, and we'll get to this more as we go, but it doesn't really seem based off of normal things that we base things off of either. Oh, sure, yeah. The way that people get together. We'll talk about that. <laughs> right. Because there's there's some insane things. Okay. So a dog is accompanying David, and this is his brother, who had previously gone to this place and did not couple, so he became a dog. Right. David's choice is to become a lobster. How did Bob make his way back? I don't know. There's a lot of unanswerable right. questions about the whole animal <laughs> process. Yeah. Masturbation is banned. But sexual stimulation by the hotel maid is mandatory. Which seems fun. I mean, it doesn't seem that bad to me. Yeah, we're going to... well awful. Well, that's because... Right, I get it. I know what's happening here, but... It, but we'll get... I want to come back to okay, that scene right. when, we, when it actually happens. <laughs> I have some thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you do, yeah. <laughs> the guests of the hotel must attend dances, watch propaganda, different skits and stuff, extolling the advantages of partnership versus single life. It's kind of like an improv class, but th these performances are pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you don't have a partner, you'll probably get raped is the message of one of them. And no one can give you the Heimlich That's if right. you're choking. Yes. <laughs> Relationships require partners to have a distinguishing trait in common, and we will expand upon this later as we meet different people some of these distinguishing traits that they use are hilarious but whatever it's it's a crazy idea and that's the idea of parodying the way that human beings actually do pair up and the things that we value in each other when right, we're making yeah. these decisions 
Once partnered up, you move with your partner to the couples section for a month-long trial partnership. Then I think this leads into this yacht situation, which never gets fully explained. You eventually get to the yacht and have to do a two-week vacation there. I don't know. While you're at the hotel, you have to take part in this thing called the hunt, which is residents at the hotel can extend their stay by hunting and tranquilizing the single people or, quote, loners, as they are called, who hide out in the woods. This part, I think, took me the longest to figure out. When I was watching this the first time, I I was like, this is such a weird wrinkle to be thrown into it that they go hunting for these human beings that live in the woods. Yeah. And you can extend your stay by catching them. Yeah, each loner equals one additional day at the hotel. So you start with 45, and every day that goes by, that total goes down. But there's a hunt every day. And so if you catch more loners more than one a day then you're going to actually add days That's and the heartless I woman get, i think was at a hundred and something days i know it's like how many loners are living in these woods i guess a lot it, it seems that way well i guess if you're in society and you're in a situation i don't know if it's based they don't ever explain like if it's if you're single once you're at a certain age or what the deal is or if you get divorced or, or your spouse dies or whatever right i guess your alternatives are you either take the shuttle to the hotel or you run out and hide into the woods. And there definitely seems to be like people who are unhappy with how things have played out and maybe they've run away from their spouse or whatever, you know. Yeah. We, we get more into that as we go. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we don't really get any of the guidelines that lead up to this other than if you're, yeah, single at a certain point. Because that one dude is pretty young, but he was married. Yeah. The guy with the limp. Yeah, yeah. And his wife had right. died. The hotel manager is played by Olivia Coleman, who we talked about winning Best Actress recently for That's the right. favorite. Uh, Oscar winner, Olivia Coleman. The maid is played by Ariane LaBelle, who is married to Yorgos Lantimos. I'm a big fan of the maid. Yeah. I think she's, she's Greek got as well, just uh, like sort him. of quiet good looks, you know? <laughs> quiet good looks. You know, it's not in your face. She's not really putting it out there for everybody. She's just kind of a, a classy looking broad. John, the limping <laughs> man. Is played by Ben Wishaw, Paddington Bear himself. In the credits, they are just known by their def- defining traits, but they do mention John's name and Robert's name, the lisping man, played by John C. Riley. That's right. But everybody else is essentially just known by their traits, I think. Yeah. There's Nosebleed Woman, played by Jessica Barden, who we know from The End of the Fucking World, which we did on the podcast. That's true. And Biscuit Woman, played by... Ashley Jensen, who was on Extras with Ricky Gervais. Okay. And the Heartless Woman, played by Angelica Papolia. I don't know how to say her name. I don't She's know Greek her. as well. I'm, yeah. I, I butcher everybody's name. I think names. she was in one of his movies before. Yes, yeah. she was. These people, like I said, are essentially just defined by these traits. Yeah. The one woman gets nosebleeds. The one lo- likes butter biscuits. The one is a sociopath. And that's <laughs> True. like what they're known right. by as. <laughs> it's really weird because... It definitely seems to be a commentary on putting people into categories and boxes, and you can't ever break out of that. That's that's just what you are. So the first day, you have to spend there handcuffed with one arm behind your back, I guess, to learn why two things are better than one. So having two hands is better (laughs) than having one hand. Yeah, a lot of lessons built into this curriculum. And it is like, I mean, Olivia Coleman and her husband, they own the hotel, they run the program. I mean, did they start this? I I don't know. You know? David, his first morning, he sits there eating breakfast. We get a little bit of an introduction to some of these other people, including the nosebleed woman. And 
her best friend, who's really just known as Nosebleed Woman's friend. There's really no <laughs> other name attached to her other than Smoking Hot Chick. I was going to say, it's pretty cute. Yeah. David becomes beautiful friends. Beautiful hair. With, yeah, that's her defining trait yeah. is her beautiful right. hair. David becomes friends with the limping and lisping men. The limping man's mom became a wolf, and he tried to go visit his mother at the, uh, wo- at this the is zoo. This quite a story. And that's how he got his limp, because he went into the, where the wolves were, and the other wolves who weren't his mother attacked him. He is just projecting that it's possible that one of the ones that wasn't attacking him was yeah. his mother. Yeah, it's a crazy story that illustrates a little bit of humanity that is not really apparent in most of the characters, at least in this first half of the movie in the hotel, because that's an emotional reaction to something happening to your mother right? and wanting to see your mother. And yet nobody really acts that emotionally throughout the film. It's true. Up until the heartless woman does something cold. crazy yes. later. Yeah. I mean, most of the time people don't act in a way that is congruent with that emotion. Yeah. And, it's unclear when this happened to him. You it, would assume when he was younger, but I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't really feel like there's a chemistry between anyone, you know? No. We see a little bit of the different scenarios. There's a dance. This is when Olivia Coleman and her partner are singing. Something's got a hold of my heart, which is pretty funny. That is. It's yeah. actually maybe one of the funniest scenes in the movie. To I me. think there's a lot of funny parts in this movie. It's kind of overshadowed at times by the dark parts as well. But <laughs> Oh, yeah, there's... Plenty of times where I laugh hysterically, especially yeah, yeah. in the first half. Right. I will say the second half to me is not as good, even though Rachel Weiss is in it. Yeah. And I like her. I think the hotel is far more interesting than what's going on in the woods. I agree with that. Yeah. The woods is pretty clear cut. Like, we get it. There's definitely not as many weird things happening out in the woods. <laughs> but this part with uh, the hotel manager and her partner singing is so funny to and me. And at a certain I don't point, this movie gets like so tragic to me out in the woods with what happens with Rachel Weiss's character, you know, it's just like so fucked up that it's like hard for me to even. What about the maid? Well, yeah, I mean, we'll get there, but not a lot of winners at the end of this. That's true, which so I guess is the point. David dances with the nosebleed woman, life. making a run. Nosebleed woman and her friend are far younger than most of the other people, That's and true, are yeah. also far more attractive than most of the other people. <laughs> yeah. So. You would think that most of the men would try to find a trait in well, common with either of them. I mean, even Colin Farrell looking a little frumpy in this movie, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. There is a pool scene where he's sitting with like his shirt open, and you see that gut. And, it's and you're like, like yeah. Looking in a mirror. Wow. Familiar. <laughs> we touched on the Biscuit Woman briefly. Just a lot of sadness from this character the whole time. Yeah, that, yeah we'll talk about Dark. She's such a funny actress in extras. Just throwing, you know, everything out there. Yeah. There's just such a sad desperation there. <laughs> I know. It's brutal. Yeah, she's such a funny actress in the show Extras, and it really is upsetting to see her playing this kind of character. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't blame the men who are, like, repulsed by this because it's so desperate and it's, like, off-putting. Yeah, I mean, there there is just something sad about the older single woman thing. I, I mean, I know we don't want to go there, but it's just, it seems hard. I'll say it. It seems hard. Especially in this society yes. where there's no alternatives. Right. The festivities are interrupted by the alarm for everyone to go on the hunt, and this is where... 
we see a slow motion sequence of the first time with the hunt happening. We're in the woods. This is like a very chaotic moment. We see the heartless woman like punching a loner in the face in slow motion. Yes, yes. And it's definitely contrasted with the orderly, restrained, emotionless hotel life that's going on that these people are living. Because all of a the sudden they're sent out into the woods with tranquilizer guns and all <laughs> hell know. is breaking loose. Yeah. It's pretty weird. It really kind of took me a few minutes for that all to resonate what actually is going on here. This first hunt sequence reveals a little bit. We learn that the Heartless Woman is the female record holder for the hunt with 192 captures, which is insane. <laughs> I don't know anything about this world or anything, but that yeah. still seems insane. Did because you have to not only tranquilize them, but then you have to lug their unconscious body back up to where the van is. That's right. Seems like a lot of work. It does. And she is determined to not be in a relationship or get turned into an animal. Right. Do these loners ever consider fighting back? Is there nowhere else they can go? I mean, I, I guess I, if you go to the town, you get caught. And there's only like so there's a basically just of wood a town, space. the woods, and the hotel, and in a this long universe. road in between. <laughs> Why don't the lisping man and the biscuit woman get together? Find something. It seems like they're going to during this first hunt scene, and yet yeah. they never are really shown together again. I don't know. I guess it was just one of those things where it's just like... There was nothing there. Yeah, they just couldn't get it going. It is like online dating. It's like sometimes it feels like a match and it feels like it's going to happen. And then, you know, after... Then she sends you the link to her Venmo. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You know how it is. Yeah, absolutely. So the next day, we see some propaganda skits with like the maid and some of the waiters. That's cut with a scene with the maid and David, the stimulation thing. So so basically, she comes into the room to clean it up. And then part of it is she tells David to take his pants off. So he's in his like boxers or whatever. And yeah. sit on the edge of the bed and lay back and spread his legs apart. And then she hikes up the That's back of her skirt. Erotic, yeah. So that like her pantyhose and underwear are showing basically on her butt. And then she just like rubs her butt like in his crotch. Yeah. And he doesn't want to do Repeatedly. it. Repeatedly. Right. But she says that it's required and she, he has to do it. And the whole <laughs> idea is you're not allowed to masturbate. And then she uses her ass to like get you hard. Get and then, you aroused. Then stops abruptly before anything can happen. Just to like keep you on the verge, I guess, of something. Yeah. I mean, that does seem <laughs> cruel. I think the surprise would be like she would like go to do that. I would already be hard and then it would be a mess for everyone. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, especially when you're talking about I mean, how much time is passing here and you got a fox like this maid coming in wearing that outfit. <laughs> I think they're underestimating how fast it could all go down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, she's not in a relationship. No, I, she's married. Oh, she is. Yeah, remember whenever she. Oh God. <laughs> oh God. We'll get to that. Okay. All right. That's part of what happens later. Okay. Yeah. All right. We might have to go over that again then. Okay. So I Robert was thinking that the people that worked at the hotel weren't married, other than no, she's married to the fat dentist. Gotcha. As she calls. Him. Oh, that's right. She does talk about that. Robert, the lisping man, is busted for jacking it, and it's a humiliating punishment. The, humiliating the, and sort of weirdly brutal. 
Well, yeah, yeah. It, it's horrible because they've put his hand in like a, a toaster that's like on. So they like and toast like his hand. And hold it in there, yeah. But it's like humiliating just because it's like it's in front of everyone that they're like, you you masturbated to a naked woman on a horse <laughs> yeah. or whatever. I mean, it's just like. But I mean, everyone in that room, I'm sure, was like, well, who hasn't? I don't know how they knew. I don't know if the the implication is that they're monitoring the rooms or if he did it in some non-discreet way. I don't know how this all went down. It, it seems like you have to take it that they must be monitoring these rooms. It doesn't he, feel like, like privacy is guaranteed here. Right. Or he blew it in a tissue and then put the tissue in a trash can. Wow. Some forensic people. Who in knows? Yeah. I don't know. They don't explain how they know. They just know. Is your room number 186? Yes, it is. I imagine you know that masturbation is not permitted in the rooms or any other area of the hotel. Yes. And yet it has been brought to my attention that you continue to do it. Were you looking at a photograph while you were masturbating? Yes. What did the photograph show? A naked woman on a horse in the country. If I were in your shoes, I would not be ogling the naked woman, but the horse. I'm sure that horse was once a weak and cowardly man, just like you. This is not necessary, please. It was an accident. I just got please. carried away. This is not necessary. Please, place your hand in this the This could be a warning. But I've been good otherwise. I... Shortly thereafter, Robert is sitting with John and David, and John is describing the transformation process as he has heard it. Which you are like, who's telling you this? Well, he knew someone that used to be a waiter at the hotel, right. is what he says. Even but, though, but Robert's like... The waiters know the transformation well, process? Well, that's what Robert says. Did yeah. you watch this movie? I did, yeah. <laughs> You're like saying like everything that's like as it's happening. So like, yeah, Robert calls him out. He's like, well, the waiters don't know the process and then john just like waves him off but <laughs> robert and david seem to buy it and basically he describes some insane thing where they heat up with warm water the skin and then they peel the skin off and then remove the eyes and then all the organs and all this shit yeah i didn't really understand it because well, what happens after that nothing how do you become a dog well, that's the whole theory that they don't really get turned into animals that this is just a front for like animal harvesting and that the animals are just fake like the animals are just animals they're not yeah. they were never people they're right just, okay i don't know i don't really buy into it but somebody threw that out there and i thought well that's kind of interesting it could be but i don't really know what the point would be i don't know to use the organs and the blood for other people I sure guess. yeah so it's like you got to do this thing which is get in a couple or else we're we need your blood. Killing you, right? Basically, okay. Because th that's the thing. Because like they don't explain the animal process. You never see it. And why go through the whole exercise though of having the girl with the hair become that horse, and like the hair looks like her hair? Yeah, I don't know. I, that's why I don't buy it either. I think there's and plus the the animals are always hanging out in the background once they're in the woods, right? And it's like I don't know. Would those animals still be just hanging? out Yeah, there? like random, like okay. a camel is walking through the woods. <laughs> Well, the whole reason I even brought up that scene besides the animal, it's just like, this is moments seemingly or hours after 
Robert just had his hand put in a toaster and he's got like that bandage on his hand. <laughs> I just love this idea that we all have to be friends with this guy still after we all just oh, witnessed yeah, that. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I could deal with it. Yeah, I mean, embarrassment doesn't seem to be something that's existing in any of these people. Well, I think if you got 45 days. Yeah. There's a false alarm with a new girl with a limp, but john says that she just has a sprained ankle and she'll be walking again normally yeah he was getting the deeds because he's trying to look for a woman with a limp because he's saying that that's his defining trait so the next hunt the biscuit woman sits next to david and she kind of pitches him on coming to fuck her i guess it's real explicit and real real sad it's like a real oof moment and david just does not want any part of it yeah i will say it's not something that i experienced in my dating life (laughs) having this pitch to me she's like i'm completely okay with anal sex (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of talk about anal sex in this movie there is that did cross my mind as well (laughs) that it comes up multiple times (laughs) well (laughs) let that lay there yeah yeah it's fun for some people. <laughs> so the nosebleed woman is in the pool, and I guess spur of the moment, John decides he's going to like pull off this fraud where he makes his own nosebleed so that he'll have a defining Although, trait. he doesn't do it in a very discreet way the first time. He just slams his head into the side of the pool. Yeah, I mean, I feel like people would catch on. Yeah. Okay, so this all starts with like kind of a leering shot of jessica barden's like bikini body as she's doing like a backstroke across the pool she looks pretty good okay you you noticed well i mean the camera was there yeah (laughs) and even john is like i like your bathing suit or something he says something like that (laughs) the way they talk to each other is so insane it is yeah he's like do you prefer (laughs) and then he lists like four different strokes like even just like the way they talk and lists and stuff is so crazy yeah and then he sees her, he's like, no woman here has a limp. I don't know what I'm going to do. I need a defining trait. Yeah. Hers is right out on Front Street. Her nose bleeds a lot, and everyone knows it. So everyone knows what her defining trait is. So he talks to her briefly. She's one of the hottest chicks there. And he is. He sees a moment, and he goes for it. He's revealed privately to the other two dudes, like, listen, I'm going to do whatever the hell I can to get a mate and, like, get out of here. Like I'm- He's like, I'm not turning into an animal. Yeah. John C. Riley and Colin Farrell are much more like we're kind of accepting our fate that we're going to turn into animals, like just discussing who we're going to be. You know, if we're both parrots, we can hang out together. <laughs> you know, they're like, we've got 42 days left, but we're already like resigned to like which animal are we going to be? It's like bug juice where they're talking about leaving. They've been That's there right. for six hours. They're like, this summer's going to go by so fast. <laughs> if you thought about what animals you want to be if you don't make it? A lobster. I'm going to be a parrot if I don't make it. Why don't you become parrots too? And then we'll all be together. You're a complete idiot. Picking one of the few animals that can talk when you have a speech impediment. You'll lisp even as an animal. As for you, they'll catch you and put you in a pot of boiling water until you die. And then they'll crack open your claws with a tool, like pliers, and they'll suck out what little flesh you have with their mouths. You're pathetic, both of you. I'm not going to be turned into some animal. I'll come and visit you, though, with my partner, when we're walking together in some park or when we're swimming in the sea or when we're on one of our trips. 
the next opportunity, John, the limping man, and the nosebleed woman are announced as a couple in front of everyone, and they're given like access to the couple's area. So my whole thought is, shouldn't everyone have to register all of their defining traits to prevent frauds like this? Wouldn't you think that this would be happening all the time? You would think that. Is it clear cut that you have to match on defining traits? I guess it is. Yes. But that's laid out. That's part of the deal. Yeah. I mean, they act like it is, but I wasn't sure like. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. And you only have the one. I mean, a guy like Colin Farrell, his is like pretty. No, no, I don't think it's just the one. Okay. Because later they try to. There's different times where they try to get things in common. And even outside of the restrictions of the hotel, these are the rules in society. Yes. Yes. Because. Later, when he's trying to match with Rachel Weiss and things happen with her True. and they no longer have their trait, right. then they're trying to just think of anything. They're trying to find ones, right? Yeah. During the scene, her blonde friend has tears in her eyes. I don't know if you noticed. Like, she's crying, like, kind of non-demonstratively, but you can see that she's got, like, tears. Yeah. <laughs> and I do think the whole thing with her blonde friend is a commentary on maybe being too picky, I guess. Not well. Tr- it feels that way a little I bit. I don't know. Yeah. She kind of uh, doesn't give really anybody a chance here. I know that. Yeah. We also find out that couples are assigned children <laughs> to deal with unresolvable issues, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this is a huge commentary on like, using <laughs> kids to save to a relationship. Problems, yeah. yeah. David does make a run at the nosebleed woman's friend, and her trait is her great hair. She shuts him down. Is like your hair's dry pretty quickly. Yeah. And I, my response to that would be like, "Well, have fun being a horse, you fucking bitch." But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he just gives no shot to anybody, and it's like, "Well, honey, you're running out of days." Right. And it's but she, he even says to her, "What do you want to do on your last day?" So her days are numbered right then. I know. No panic from her. Well, forget Colin Farrell's hair maybe being dry. She basically puts it out there that she's going to shut down any guy because she's like. It doesn't matter if your dad had a full head of hair. It doesn't matter if you have a full head of hair right now. There's a good chance you're going to go bald. <laughs> so we're done here. The blonde-haired woman, the nosebleed woman, and the hotel manager have a little meeting in her office where the nosebleed woman reads her like a message, and this is going to be the last day for the blonde woman. And nosebleed woman does say some cunty things and gets slapped for it. <laughs> Yeah. And then they move on, and she announces that for her last day, she's going to watch the film Stand By Me, <laughs> which I thought was a pretty cool choice. I think so, too. I she love redeemed the... herself a little bit with that choice. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's kind of a deep cut pick, I think. I mean, it's a famous movie, but you wouldn't expect. And then they cut to Nosebleed Woman and John seeing her as, seeing a horse, her as the horse with that same kind of hair, yeah. which looks crazy, but I guess is real. I will I say, I mean, if you were picking something to do on your last day, would Stand By Me be up there? I mean, I feel like the the end of that movie makes me too sad. <laughs> when I think about Chris getting stabbed in the throat at that fast food restaurant. Yeah, I'm always like, what fast food restaurant was it? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how hot the fries were. Fast food restaurants just seemed cooler in the 80s. That's to true. Me. That's a good point. I mean, imagine how cool that fast food restaurant was in 1986 that Chris got stabbed at. <laughs> Okay. So, I mean, but you are just like, okay, wow, that was a quick cut. Blonde chick out of the picture. Yeah. And you're like, well, who is David going to match with? He's running out of options That's right. here. I mean, I was thinking like, well, we know that Rachel Weisz is in this movie. We've heard her voice already. She's 
probably going to get into this at some point. You think she's going to show up at the hotel? Yeah. You're kind of waiting for that. I kept waiting for like more women to show up at the hotel in general, but you never really get introduced to a new cast of people. Yeah, not really. David's next plan is to pretend he has no feelings and go for the heartless woman. In a bold move. I almost kind of chalk this up to like a Zach Schoendorf type angle. <laughs> like, I'm just going to go for this crazy Don't heartless ever woman. Say my last name on the podcast, man. <laughs> well, he's getting desperate. He saw that the hottest chick, he's like the hottest chick we ever had up here, turned into a fucking horse. (laughs) All bets are off. That's right. I got to get out of here. The woman with the good hair who turned, Becky with the good hair, who turned into the horse, she's like not been in like anything else other than this movie. I think she might have been in like one other thing. She rubs people the wrong way. Yeah. There was a lot of truth in that performance. (laughs) Okay. So David's planning on things he's going to tell the woman with no feelings, the heartless woman, when they go on the next hunt. But an opportunity presents itself earlier yes. when the biscuit woman attempts suicide by jumping out of, like, essentially a second-story window. Which is kind of ironic. I, it took me... I don't even think I realized the first time I watched this movie that that was her screaming until they started talking. Right. I, I thought it was, like, an, an onlooker or yeah. whatever, you know? Like, You're like, oh, she's screaming in pain. There's blood coming out of her. This is horrible. Yeah. She's twisted up in a weird way. It kind of an ironic suicide attempt for this show to be talking about because basically, like, anytime, like, something embarrassing happens or humiliating for anyone, we're talking about throwing ourselves out the window. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This is an opportunity for David to say some shit about the biscuit woman to the heartless woman about her suicide attempt. Like, oh, I hope she dies quickly. And then he says, no, I want her to take a long time. And then he's like, well, I don't want her to make any noise. <laughs> he keeps like changing it yeah. to all these different variations on a theme. She gets it, though. Later, they're sitting together in two different jacuzzis. He joins her in one. She does this thing where she pretends to choke and he doesn't help her. And this was a test. And he passed giving him which is so strange she now thinks that they're a match because he seems like he's a sociopath like her (laughs) imagine that's your defining trait and that you're trying to match with another (laughs) sociopath it's like what is even the point then at that point which i think is also a commentary it's like some people why even bother what would be the point of a relationship with this person it would be based on nothing (laughs) they don't care why do they even let her carry on at this hotel i don't know So they partner, they move to a couple's room, and we haven't really spent a lot of time in the movie with David's brother, the dog, but he comes as well. Maybe the most shocking scene in the movie, when they get to the couple's room, the heartless woman also does the lift the skirt up. So I guess that's part of it. But to crotch rubbing. Is the first night supposed to be that before you get the real thing? I don't know. I'm just like, is this what people do in this society? Because if so, I'm ready to join. (laughs) I like it. I will say, once they actually uh, consummate the relationship... Like, what is this? Like a high school dance where I would shoot a load in my pants? <laughs> like, what is happening? But, I mean, you know, once they finally, like, get physical, I mean, he's really going at it, you know? Yeah, but he's not allowed to make any noise. Yes, yeah, he, like, grunts in pleasure, and she's like, what was that? <laughs> it was too real for me. Yeah. There's a brief encounter with John and the nosebleed woman, and they've been assigned a daughter, obviously, because they have these unresolved problems because they're not really a match. Right. And this scene is also insane. It's not like a baby. It's not a biological kid. It's like they are given a 10-year-old. So where does this kid come from? 
So John wants, and that kid has like a lot of attitude too. No, I don't think so. On so, the boat later. Oh, <laughs> well. So John wants the daughter to kiss David, which number one is insane. Yeah. But then he's like, "That's the last thing I would want is a kiss from a silly little girl." And then he kicks her. <laughs> it's like what? Well, he's heartless. Yeah. Well, he's pretending to be, and it's yeah. a completely insane scene. Sex scene, as you mentioned, not allowed to make noise. Always watching, always judging. <laughs> yeah. He's always under a microscope from the heartless woman. The heartless woman was okay with them matching in the first place, but then seemed to doubt it almost immediately. Yeah, she's really questioning it. So, like, she wants him to fuck up. So, the next morning. Yeah, this is the, the very, this is where things take a really dark turn. Yeah. He's awoken really gross. by the heartless woman standing over him. She tells him that she has kicked the dog, David's brother, to death, and she's got blood all over her leg. Her talking about it disturbing. He's the she's sight imitating of it, the noise. Much more disturbing. So then there's the dead dog in the bathroom. Yeah. And this is another test, and he eventually fails. And she knew he was lying all along, which is crazy. That's that, like any of this, this is happening. Yeah. <laughs> she's going to take him to the hotel manager and reveal that he was lying, and the punishment would be getting turned into, quote, the animal that no one wants to be, which is never really explained. Yeah. What are our thoughts on that? I was thinking hermit crab. I was thinking, based off of what we see in the movie, maybe rabbit. Okay. Yeah, because people are killing rabbits and eating them. Yeah. Yeah. But that's also maybe what I think he turns her into. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's the other part. Yeah. Okay, so she is taking him to the manager to bust him. He hits her and flees, and then there's this chase through the hotel. Where is everybody? No one is around while this is happening. Right. And then, out of nowhere, David is saved by the hotel maid in a dramatic, unexpected, somewhat shocking baby face turn from the maid. Absolutely. Where's this coming from? I I was like really, at this point, pulling for a maid, Colin Farrell. Did I call him Colin Firth early in the podcast? A made Colin Farrell hookup. Yeah. That would have been, like, my movie. (laughs) (laughs) She assists him. She puts in the code so David can take the heartless woman to the transformation room. Which does make you think, is there just, like, some sort of device contraption in there? I was thinking that it was, like, a surgical procedure that required people. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing that's not really explained and also maybe fits the theory that they're not actually turning people into animals in there. Yeah. Because everything else in the movie even though it's crazy and it takes place in a crazy future, there's nothing else supernatural in the movie. No. So that's this one supernatural conceit. And if you question that, then maybe it's taking place in a real world. I don't know. But he never reveals that. The idea is, and we get this from Rachel Weisz's narration, that he turns her into an animal and he never tells anyone what the animal is and he flees the hotel for once and for all i mean for the purpose of the movie it's kind of like a fun little thing that it keeps it a mystery as to what he turned her into i don't really understand why within the context of the universe he wouldn't tell what he turned that's her what into. it's like well is he not saying because it, the the truth is too horrible which is that like no one that they thought was an animal that was could actually be an animal. yeah that's i true. don't know there's a lot of different things you can think about and i don't think there's really supposed to be any real answer yeah i mean in all the interviews they just talk about like wanting it to be ambiguous yep so we're about halfway through the movie and now everything changes rather dramatically new setting new characters new goals new everything and it's kind of jarring the first time you watch it because you don't really expect to be done with the hotel completely and to have this whole new 
and thing we're gonna, that feels very different. We're going to go back to the whole the maids angle, right? What do you mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, she's still in it for like a, the rest of the movie. Right. <laughs> did you watch the movie? I did, but I, I didn't know if you were specifically waiting. Because at that point, you're like, why did she help him? Well, yeah, well, that's not revealed yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well. Like everything else, we're going to do it in order. Okay. <laughs> It seems like the first night in the forest, David is alone, and then he eventually joins up with the rest of the loners, the people that have been getting hunted throughout the film. And we see a old friend of the show is kind of the leader of the loners. The loner leader, Leah Sidu. I don't know. I don't think she's been in any movie we've ever done on the show. Yeah, but she's in Blue is the Warmest Color. That's true. Which she's in a lot of things. <laughs> we, French actress. Which we do reference on the show from time to time. Former model, I guess. I remember one topless picture of her for American Apparel. Remember how they how had like that? all those like racy pictures? Yeah, I do Even though their clothes that. were like the most boring yeah. generic clothes. <laughs> Solid color zip up hoodies. For sixty dollars. Yeah. It's like, well then now they're out of business. Right. The whole point of this resistance seems to be anti love, anti this particular society, but to an extreme extent. I think the idea is that you think David is free and yep. yet He's now beholden to a new they have set of rules. Different rules. And it's revealed pretty quickly when <laughs> a couple that was suspected of flirting with each other have something pretty violent done to them. So there's no romantic relationships or sexual acts among loners permitted, although you are allowed to masturbate. And yes, you referenced the red kiss, which yeah. two people, I guess, had deep cuts into their lips or mouths or something and God, were forced to kiss. Horrible. And Rachel Weiss in the narration references the worst punishment, which is the red intercourse, e. which isn't ever explained. But, but you, you think about that thing from seven. No, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be even worse. Yeah. The irony of this group is that they consider themselves free, and yet they are in constant threat of being captured by the people at the hotel, and they have to follow they have all, all these, these strict rules. Yeah, all the, their own rules. All of the sudden now, Rachel Weiss arrives in the picture as one of the other loners, and she henceforth becomes, well, not in this exact moment, but eventually she will become known as the short-sighted woman, which is the defining characteristic that she has in common with David. Which it feels like if that's your defining characteristic, you have a lot of options. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not that many people <laughs> with 2020 vision, right? <laughs> As David's outside, the first hunt occurs. He encounters Robert, and he manages to distract him with a conversation. During this conversation, we find out that John and the nosebleed woman are about to go on the yacht, which is the final stage. Yes. And the short-sighted woman runs up and cuts Robert's ankle or something, basically attacks him from behind, and David's able to get the tranquilizer gun and shoot Robert. And it's like, poor Robert. I know. It He's is so pathetic. They take his clothes and his tranquilizer gun. You have to imagine that he gets turned into an animal pretty quickly. Because I don't think we really ever see him after this. I I, I don't recall. I don't know. Does he just have to embarrassingly walk himself back up to the bus in his underwear? I don't know. During this trip, though, this is where we find out that the maid is an undercover member of this resistance. As she has a secret meeting with the loner leader, Leah Sidhu. And this secret meeting... I felt a lot, I mean, maybe I was projecting because I was getting a little excited. Yeah. I feel like there's definitely some sexual tension between these two. I think that's fair to say. I mean. <laughs> I think they're secret. 
it's I think they're secretly in love and I definitely think that this anguish I mean, at just, not being able to be together is what makes the loner leader such a bitch. It could be. <laughs> when you see two powerful women like that on screen together, it's hard not to, you know, one wearing a trash bag, the other giving butt cheek jobs <laughs> in a hotel. <laughs> it's hard not to project a little bit of connection there. They occasionally will go to town for supplies. It's like the loner leader, the short-sighted woman, David, and this other guy. And they have to pretend to be couples to fit in in the town. David and the short-sighted woman realize they share the defining characteristic of short-sightedness and astigmatism. And it becomes pretty obvious what path this is all going Now, down. why do you think that the leader of the loners, that one dude that seemingly has a high-ranking position amongst the loners as well uh-huh. like why is it those two and then these two that keep going i don't know because it's a movie <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't think there's any specific reason i mean did you see some of those other loners though come on yeah <laughs> well they couldn't take anyone was, who had the red kiss done to them for, so those are a couple rules for Leia do I, I was almost wondering at times if she had a little something for david or was like a little bit jealous of well, her whole on. backstory is a big question mark. Yeah, we don't really true. know what prompted her to become a loner. She's an attractive woman, obviously. Right. Although she, she likes seems to have some own. sort of anger issue, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Her parents seem normal, which is another weird thing that we actually, for some reason, meet her parents. She definitely has a vindictive persona. And then, yeah, the whole thing that happens late. Okay, we'll get yeah, to it. Yeah, right. A big thing that they're building towards is this raid that they're going to do on the hotel to basically just disrupt their work. There's really no other goal here (laughs) other than to just fuck with them. Yeah, I mean, you would think maybe, like, some of them would have, like, revenge on their mind. I'm sure a lot of them have probably lost loner friends, too. Well, David does, basically. Yeah. For some reason, he's like, fuck you, John, you ass. (laughs) So when the loner leader's divvying out where they're all going to go, and she's like... She says to somebody, like, oh, you're going to go on the yachts or whatever. David's like, no, 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 let me get on those yachts. Yeah, right. He's like, I got a bone to pick. They all run out, and they're all doing these different things. They're shooting, like, guards with the tranquilizer guns, whatever. David goes out to the yacht, and he spoils it for John and the nosebleed woman by revealing that John is faking his nosebleeds. Right. And this is kind of left up in the air. (laughs) Like, you don't really know how that plays out for those people. It's never really addressed. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things that it's just like, could John convince her that, like, look, yeah, I was lying, but we just need to keep this going to get out of here. And I know that's we'll the thing. It's like, well, what even from her perspective, right. like, would she rather just try to make this work because Live they're already the this far yeah. into it? Right. It's so crazy because the normal things that we think about when we're in relationships or looking for relationships, they never factor into any of this. It's right. Like, is she even attracted to him? Doesn't matter. Not even on the table. Well, it's kind of like the idea of like... Do they think like, that they're funny? Do they think that they're nice? Do they think that they're smart? Doesn't matter. It's like the nosebleed thing has to be real. And like they're so far... everything's fucked. And they're so far into this program at this point, and they're like going to get out of this and return to society. It's almost like if you're in a relationship and you're engaged and you've put all of this money into this wedding... And, like, leading up to it, like, something happens or, like, you know, you're starting to have reservations or you're just, like, having this realization that maybe you're not into it. <laughs> but story of my life. But it's just, like, well, we should just go through with it anyway because we've spent so much money. <laughs> well, yeah. you know? well, that's why everybody is miserable in yeah, this country. exactly. The daughter, as you mentioned, 
saying she had an attitude. She hands the nosebleed woman a knife and tells her to stab him. Yeah, you wonder why this 10-year-old is just laying around like, <laughs> with an attitude like that. And the nosebleed woman does take the knife and she's holding it and... David is making no effort to protect himself or shield himself, and she doesn't seem interested in stabbing him. She's just kind of in shock. John is finally like, I think you got to get out of here. You better leave. And he's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But you can see that it's definitely rattled the nosebleed woman where she doesn't really know what to do. Oh, sure. And that's the last time I think we see them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, shame on her for not suspecting this. (laughs) You know, I mean... Everyone's so naive about these stupid traits. Right. You would think that people would be faking traits all the time. Yeah, just like we do in real life to try to date someone. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yes, exactly. I know. Except somebody whose trait is based on vanity, like having great yeah. hair, you can't fake it, and so she turns into a horse. It's like when you pretended that you smoked cigarettes, you know? Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like I kept that up for more than, like, a sentence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the loner leader... The short-sighted woman and the other guy, they go to the hotel manager's room. A lot of shit happens. They end up, they're like, well, we're going to kill one of you and not the other. And they tie up the hotel manager, Olivia Coleman, and then they put the gun in her husband's hand. And they're like, you have to kill her and we'll let you live. This is a fun And this scene. guy, not really that much drawn out, goes ahead and pulls the trigger. <laughs> And there's, of course, the gun is unloaded because what are they going to give him a loaded gun? He would shoot yeah. one of them, maybe. Well, obviously, they're proving a point here, and yeah. the point is well proven. <laughs> and so he fails the test, and they kind of leave them in a state of shock. And the whole thing, this is really like the last interaction with the hotel at all in the rest yeah. of the movie. And it's basically these loners have left everyone in disarray and shaken the whole The idea of being in these relationships. Yeah. yeah. Some really funny moments later back in the woods the loner leader saying to david i was looking for you where were you david i was masturbating behind those trees (laughs) (laughs) which is just a throwaway moment but it's so funny when you think about it like because in this society in the woods like that's acceptable and normal yeah i guess (laughs) it's an expression of your freedom And then the next hilarious part to me is the explanation that you apparently forgot, which is the maid telling David about how she killed her fat dentist husband with his own drill. (laughs) And David's just like, he's not paying any attention. He's just like, that's an interesting story, but I have to go. Yeah, I guess I wasn't paying attention either because I was just mesmerized by her eyes, you know. The whole point with the maid was she got coupled up with somebody i don't know what the defining characteristic was but it was someone she was not attracted to and didn't love it was this fat dentist who made her brush after every meal i love when she's complaining about that <laughs> even like he's like she's like even small meals or something yeah he's always asking i know i mean the I dialogue brush. in this movie is just hilarious she ends up killing him and now she's like fully joined this resistance right. i think because now she can't go back to society she sure her husband yeah David and the short-sighted woman are circling each other, and he notices that another man is bringing her rabbits, which is something that he did yeah, initially. Yeah, jealousy spiking up here. Yeah, he's like, all right, well, now i got to make a move because I can't let this other asshole That's right. in. Even though like, it's theoretically the safest place to take your time because if everyone else is following the rules then you should be okay right but i guess you can't really trust anybody which is the whole point obviously people have been breaking these rules because these punishments exist (laughs) yeah we see the nosebleed woman's blonde friend the horse just in the background 
And I mean, I have to say it bestiality is that on the table in this society it could be yeah you'd think there'd be like a run of it <laughs> in this yeah world. you would th- don't they make some comments about it I-, I don't know no they never say that specifically you could draw that conclusion as to what she meant the hotel manager right like, that's what i was thinking about that you don't want to choose sexual intercourse with a human being on your last day because that's something you could still do which doesn't make sense but i don't know i was wondering if she meant like you could fuck another animal that used to be a human yeah or if she meant that, like, humans are going to fuck you. I don't know. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you would think people would be making attempts. <laughs> I mean, oh, there'd be more than attempts, I would imagine. Okay, I mean, yeah. What, it's a horse. What are they going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> no one's listening. This episode's so long. Yeah, and dark. <laughs> I thought the bestiality bit was going to be a light moment, like funny. That's true. I think so. It's just a joke. Who doesn't like bestiality? <laughs> well, it's just funny. Yeah, it is. In a world where he- humans are turning into animals. <laughs> oh, God. All right. This and the Green Book stuff at the beginning, we're going to be blacklisted yeah, from the internet. I think so. This is, this is the one that finally does it. It finally shuts it down. Okay. So David and the short-sighted woman, Rachel Weiss, they eventually establish this relationship they come up with this whole code for communication they come up with this plan to escape to the city their whole little sign language thing has ridiculous expressions yeah associated with single (laughs) hand movements we've developed a code so that we can communicate with each other even in front of the others without them knowing what we are saying When we turn our heads to the left, it means, I love you more than anything in the world. And when we turn our heads to the right, it means, watch out, we're in danger. We had to be very careful in the beginning not to mix up, I love you more than anything in the world with, watch out, we're in danger. When we raise our left arm, it means, I want to dance in your arms. When we make a fist and put it behind our backs, it means, let's fuck. The code grew and grew as time went by, and within a few weeks, we could talk about almost anything without even opening our mouths. For some reason, the short-sighted woman writes all this in a diary, and the maid finds this diary, which reveals everything about the secret relationship and their code. Kind of a sad part for me that the maid comes forward with this yeah but if you pay attention closely to the scene the maid seems unaware as to who it belongs to right i mean she's still ratting somebody out but she doesn't yes yes i I do agree she's not really ratting out anyone specifically she just finds this and she brings it to the loner leader horrible idea to have this diary at all right so this is kind of complicated and this plays into some scenes that we didn't really go over for time constraints but basically the loner leader is able to use some context clues in the diary that refer to these specific vacation destination islands that the short-sighted woman had mentioned in another scene and so she knows who the diary is she puts it together as to who this is all related to she knows it's david and the short-sighted woman yes so the leader then decides to bring the short-sighted woman to the city to have laser eye surgery under the guise of like she's fixing her eyesight right this scene is so strange because it's basically just the loner leader short-sighted woman and the maid yes quite a trio (laughs) right and 
the short-sighted woman doesn't suspect anything or say anything until they're already sitting in the waiting room at the doctor's office. Yeah. Because then she's like, well, there's only three of us that are going to get suspicious. She starts panicking. You think maybe she knows that something bad is going to happen. I don't know. Yeah, it feels that way. But, like, she didn't think of this the entire walk from the woods to the doctor's office. Right, like, I know. I don't know. It's so weird how they frame it. But it is scene. weird that this doctor is just kind of up for performing this. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to blind this bitch. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, basically the loner leader has sprung a trap. It's a trick. And the short-sighted woman is blinded by the doctor. Then they return to the woods. And I think up until they get to the woods, they were able to convince her that it's just the medication and oh like a temporary situation yeah but she starts panicking when she starts realizing that she's actually blinded right and rachel vice is in a rage and tries to kill the loner leader in a sad moment this scene is so strange it is (laughs) because doesn't it feel like the loner leader is kind of into this what do you mean that into it that rachel vice kills the maid yeah but why does she want her to do this i don't know is it because she wants the maid dead because it didn't she's work in love out with the maid? Yeah, I don't and know. She can't. She's like a temptation. I don't know. So it's the three of them. Rachel Vice has a knife. She's trying to stab the loner leader, and so instead of just like running away and leaving this blind woman there by herself, she tells her that she's going to grab the knife from her, and instead pushes, basically makes the maid be the one in right. front of her, and. So Rachel Vice stabs the maid, and then the maid never says anything. The loner leader pretends that it's her being stabbed and actually like mimes the whole act of falling. It's a the strange scene. With her. I don't really get it. Yeah, but then just stands up and then starts talking to her. So immediately reveals that like, oh, you killed someone else, but it wasn't me. Yeah, and then is like, well, what are you gonna do? That's because what I said. She's you vindictive. Need my help, right? To get back. Yeah, and it's like you just let the maid be killed i don't understand i i really actually don't understand this at all by the way horrible job by the maid getting killed by a blind woman <laughs> just not great not a great showing i just don't understand like if the loner leader is pissed at somebody for breaking the rules why would she be okay with the maid being killed yeah i don't know I don't, instead of the person who broke the rules who she then helps back to the camp because she kind of reminds me of tilda swinton's character from the beach you know (laughs) i just think that there's some sort of motivation there that we're not getting that she i don't know maybe she wanted the maid and it does feel like there's a motivation there that we don't know about i feel like that's why i had that weird feeling she had a thing for colin farrell like there's some motivation that we don't know about that goes beyond just they broke the rules yeah i don't know or maybe she was pissed at the maid because the maid had value as the mole in the hotel and then didn't want to do that anymore and wasn't doing it right i don't know but it seemed like there was some sort of spark between those two like they liked each other the first time we see them talking to each other i I think so yeah what's not to like the short-sighted woman tells david of her blindness and they begin searching for another trait in common which we mentioned and it's just grim and sad and in a way their desperation is very reminiscent of the biscuit woman oh yeah because it's like he yeah this is what i was talking about way earlier in the show where it's like it gets to a point where it's just like so sad where like they're trying to keep it going but he's just like not interested anymore it's not that he's not interested he just i think it's just he is so beholden to these rules right and it just becomes like well they had this thing in common and now they don't and he can't go to town by himself because he can't be single. So right. 
he has to stay with these loners in the woods, and so he has to follow the rules. Yeah. It's weird, though, because they go back to the woods, and they still talk to each other and hang out all the time, and the loner leader doesn't seem to care. The fact that they were being so blatant about their relationship before, even though it was, like, secret, like, they were, like, hooking up in the woods and stuff, it feels like they would have gotten caught. I mean, I don't know. You know? Maybe the woods are bigger than we think. Maybe, yeah. Part of this <laughs> People thing... are digging their own graves all over the place. <laughs> yeah, as I was about to mention, part of the rules of being one of these loners is you have to dig your own grave, <laughs> which is so bizarre. Right. It's like, why do they even care? Like, why not just leave your body wherever? The idea know. is like, you're doing everyone a favor. When you're about to die, go to your grave and just die on your own, you know? And they can throw some dirt on you. Right. The loner leader is just sitting there one morning. David gets his plan. He attacks her from behind, hits her with like with a rock. Well, what? I mean, he has this kind of like turning point where all of a sudden he's like, yeah, we're going to get it going again and we're going to escape and get out of here. Like he is all of a sudden like revitalized. Was it after she took him to dig his own grave? That could be it. I mean, I think it just gets to a point where he sees maybe the hope fading from the short-sighted woman who he loves. And right. It has an effect on him. Like she was trying i think to remain upbeat despite being blind in the woods and she was completely dependent on him to get her food and stuff yeah after a certain amount of time where they're playing the game where she's guessing objects and all that stuff then right it just the sadness is creeping in and he's oh, like, I gotta boy. Do something yeah so he attacks the leader he ties her up and he leaves her in her grave but uncovered so that the wild dogs can get at her which yeah. is pretty fucked up <laughs> yes i will say so so we see like a like a bondage sequence with Leah Sidu there, pretty hot. I would agree with that. <laughs> and he and the now blind woman escape to the city. They stop at a restaurant. They realize they have to come up with something for them to be together. Yeah, which it. I, and so he goes to the bathroom. Couldn't it just be that they have this fucking unspoken <laughs> sign language? That I don't know. I guess up? you have to prove it to somebody okay. that you have some connection. I don't know. So he goes to the bathroom with a steak knife, and in order to achieve sameness once again, he's going to blind himself with this knife. And the movie ends with you not knowing. Yeah. He puts, like, a paper towels in his mouth, I guess, this for the screaming. He's, like, holding this giant yeah. knife Yeah, I mean, this eye. part is extremely disturbing, You're <laughs> like, like, where this is heading. Yeah, couldn't you come up with a way to blind yourself that isn't Couldn't so you just ridiculous? go get that surgery, too? That doctor seems like he's willing to just throw out blindings. Rachel Weiss is sitting like in a booth by a window by herself. She's blind, obviously, and you never know what the final decision for David is, whether he goes through with it or not, and the movie yeah, ends. right. Obviously, like, <laughs> ending on the point of just, like, the most absurd moment. This is the level you're willing to go to be in a relationship and fit into society. Kind of a weird ending to a... Fun movie. An offbeat, strange movie. This is definitely one of those movies, though, that if I had saw in the theater, I would have, like, I mean, I loved it anyway, but, like, I would have walked out being like, that was awesome, you know? Yeah. Yorgos Lanthimos followed it up with another strange movie starring Colin Farrell, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is, I would say, not a comedy at all, and is maybe even darker than this movie. It's, the trailer for it seemed almost scary. <laughs> like, there were parts yeah, there's kind of creepy. kind of like a scarish Horror, element yeah. to it. It's more like psychological, and it's such a weird scenario that you don't actually like relate to it or anything like that. Okay, right. <laughs> but it's strange and weird. And then The Favorite, which came out this year, a movie that he did not write, but 
directed. You but know. yeah, I've been into him, I, and I'm you know interested to see what else he's going to do. I, I like his style. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. <laughs> Subscribe we'll on iTunes. Up, yeah. yeah, this one is way too long. Every episode anymore. It's just like well, we did a long time on the Oscars, which was meant to be a give us a second. We never did it. Well, so. he, you know, we gave you both, all in one package. All I want to say is, I wish I I don't like this world that we're living in as far as the fighting i i wish that people oh, wow. would just be happier about movies and it wasn't turning into this whole thing and i honestly i get what people were saying about green book in my heart of hearts i don't believe that the people that worked on the film and and put it together whether that's peter Farrelly, the director or any of the producers or or, or any of the actors or anyone had any malicious ideas in their head and if the film is interpreted in a way that doesn't make people happy then that sucks and i'm not discounting the emotions of people who have a connection to some of the racial strife but you know i just i I don't think that was their intention and i I don't think it's worth these endless cry fests about a movie you didn't like winning best picture it's like well move on to next year so we're back to the oscars I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you know, for me, it's just like, does it always have to be this after every friggin' thing, like a huge meltdown? Everything is everything. This is unbelievable. It's just like, it's not really that unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, every year. people. I know. I I had a conversation with someone before the Oscars a couple of different times, and then the last time leading up to it, my final thought was like, I think either Roma or Green Book will win Best Picture. So it wasn't really shocking to me, and I don't know why people weren't more yeah. prepared for this mentally, I See, guess. I, yeah, I guess like, you know, I have the benefit of knowing you, who's always really able to tell me who's going to win. <laughs> well, these people should know. That's my whole point. It's not, yeah. like they sh- it's not like they're in the dark. These are the people that you read and then you understand who's going to win. It's not like I just made it up who's going to win. I I see things and it's like they see the same things. Yeah, it just feels like everyone has a long list of reasons why every movie nominated, it's bullshit. Well, that that was my whole point. Ultimately, you can't make everyone happy. And I hope that the people that voted for Green Book or for whatever movie they voted for were voting for the one that they legitimately thought was the best. You know, it's just depressing that the Oscars are so based off of campaigns and politics and all these different articles and so much going on rather than just the movies themselves. I'd rather all of the people that vote watch all of the nominees and then pick their favorite and go sure, from there. Sure, yeah. Although we know that that's not how it works and it'll never be that simple. But it's still a fun night and I look forward to it every year. Yeah, I think that they may go hostless again. Wow. But I don't know. I guess it's just easier. Because, again, just like the movies, you can basically find something wrong with any candidate that's going to be a host, too. We're living in dark times. Okay, so thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Something's got in the hole of my heart Keeping my soul and my senses apart Lived in a time that was peaceful
You better get it. Goddard's off the bench. Goddard's off the bench. Goddard's off the bench. Johnson sold him. Haley sold him, and Goddard's in the middle. Unbelievable.